This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to the Memorial Day Weekend Mega Mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. And Chris, before we get into the mailbag questions, we should probably address the news that came out, which is that the Jets have finally formally requested permission to speak with two general manager candidates. One of them is Assistant Director of Player Personnel, Champ Kelly in Chicago. The other is the one that's been talked about the most so far, VP of Player Personnel with the Philadelphia Eagles, Joe Douglas. Both guys have ties to Adam Gase. So as we stand right Right now, we don't know when the interviews are going to actually happen, but we do know that the Jets have formally requested permission. What's going on with all this, Chris? Yeah, it, obviously, like you just said, there's the two guys, Joe Douglas, the name we've been hearing all along, Champ Kelly, who's, who's somebody that it, you know was mentioned uh, with that first wave after the whole uh, Joe Douglas-Jeremiah uh, pairing was talked about. He was grouped in there. I believe Alicia Shemetta was the first to report that. But it, it, they've obviously, everyone's concerned, where's, where's going on? They're not saying anything, uh, but they officially put in the request there. So they have identified a top two targets for right now, at least. Now we'll have to wait and see how the interviews go. Maybe they interview them and then decide that they want to interview some more people. But that appears that that's the top two uh, targets for them right now. Again, Douglas was always the heavy favorite from everybody I've spoken to. And I checked in after this was announced to, to see what some people were telling me. There's like, they still feel like Douglas is the favorite. Uh, Champ Kelly is definitely a highly thought of and respected person. And it, I was told that he is absolutely deserving of the job and should has a legit shot at the job. But everyone I've spoken to today tells me that Joe Douglas is still the favorite. And again, with uh, Champ Kelly, there's there's two big things that they, these two names have in common, and that is the Adam Gase connection. Uh, Champ Kelly has a relationship with him too, so there's no way to you know way that that way one way or another against each other. But they they both have the connection. They're both highly thought of and well respected around the league. Obviously, the Bears have done a really good job of turning that team around lately. We can talk about this a little more. Uh, you never really know how much each individual person involved had to do with that, how much of the scouting in their hits were him or not. Uh, but right now, they got those two names there. They're going to bring them in an interview, and it, it seems like those are the top two targets for them right now. Worth noting that Champ Kelly does satisfy the NFL's Rooney Rule requirement. However... As Chris noted, it is believed that Kelly is a legitimate candidate for the job. The fact that he satisfies the Rooney rule is just a coincidence. It's one of those two birds, one stone kind of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, he definitely uh, fulfills that role that they made the requirement there. But if, again, what I everyone I talked to today was telling me that he is absolutely deserving of this job and that they you know, again, with his connection to Gase and his credentials, his qualifications, that nobody is ruling him out for this job. But again, everyone I talk to still thinks Douglas is the heavy favorite. 
So permission to interview both Kelly and Douglas has been formally requested. We'll wait to see when the actual interviews get set up, and we will also wait to see if the Jets formally request permission to interview other general manager candidates, but I'm sure that that is not going to happen for a couple of days because it is Memorial Day weekend, which means it's the Memorial Day weekend mega mailbag. And so let's jump right into it with our friend Michael Pallas, who asks, I haven't heard anything negative from players about Gase's time in Denver. Is it possible Gase is the way he is because he's felt Miami and now New York were his only chances to be head coach and he didn't trust Stephen Ross and does not trust the Johnsons? I don't think so. I think the reason Gase is the way that he is is because he's an alpha and he just always wants to have things his way and have control. And so I think that when he's the offensive coordinator, he controls what he's able to control, which is the offense. So he puts all his energy into calling plays and to designing offensive schemes and to working with the offensive players. He still does a lot of that as the head coach. However, as head coach, he has other responsibilities that lead to him clashing with people. And so it's kind of the same thing that we saw with Eric Mangini. I've talked about how Wesley Walker and a couple of others have talked about this with Joe Walton. Being a coordinator and being a head coach are very different. And so sometimes guys that love you as a coordinator would hate you if you were in another capacity. I still remember when I was working in radio, I had a buddy of mine that was a sales guy. And one of his buddies that was a fellow sales guy got promoted to sales manager. And he said, oh, this is great. We're friends. We'll be able to work together. This is awesome. And I said to him, dude, I know him better than you. I'm telling you, now that he's in charge, he's going to be totally different. I know how he is. Long story short, a month later, my buddy was looking for another job. And that's just how these things go sometimes. Sometimes parts of a personality work better for a certain job than they do for another job, especially one that's further up the chain and puts more power into you. So I think that's really why Gase is different as a head coach and why so many of his ex-players who played for him as an offensive coordinator have spoken positively of him. But the only former player of his from when he was a head coach that's spoken up in his favor, as far as I'm aware, is Albert Wilson. Yeah, that's, I have a quick personal story, too, with the, similar to yours there. When I was working as an architect, I was in a small firm. It was just four of us working there. And my boss um, was going to be busy and, and taking some time away, so he put one of the other guys kind of in control. And when he was just another guy working there, he was very helpful to me, always good and nice. And then he got a little bit of power, and then he drove me away from the job really quickly drove me away from the job he his personality changed like that really quick and to talk about him in denver he was just the offensive coordinator he was the offensive coordinator with peyton manning coaching like what's he gonna do uh, challenge peyton manning there no he's just gonna kind of ride with that there there's a huge difference what I, I, i definitely will object to is when he got that miami job he had other uh, offers he could have. I forget who else was looking for a coach then, but he was a hot name then. He was the, the hot commodity, the guy that people wanted. He was the quarterback whisperer, and he looked around. There wasn't. I think again, I forget what jobs were open. He thought Tannehill was the best quarterback for him to go with at that point, and uh, uh, that made sense at the time. I, I, I'm with you. I think this is just his personality. His upbringing, however, he came to be who he is. He is this alpha personality, this do things my way or the highway type of guy, and that's just the way it is. He has a set way, 
and he doesn't appear to be too flexible on a lot of things, which is listen to me in the past is is a huge uh concern because i think uh, one of the most important things a coach can do is be flexible to whether it's just adapting uh your system to the talent on your after adapting to different personalities and figuring out how to work with them that is a huge part of any type of management job and make no mistake being the head coach is a management job you have to manage players and their personalities it's we talked about this a lot it's not simply just x's and o's so i don't think he's a good manager of people the difference between being a coordinator and being a head coach is that you go from being a guy that only has to worry about x's and o's to being like you said the ceo of the team in a sense you have to manage the coaches you have to manage the players you have to manage your relationships with people above you below you everything so there's a lot more involved in terms of people skills and i don't mean being popular i mean just knowing how to push certain people's buttons knowing how to get the most out of everybody knowing exactly the right way to address people there's so many things that go into it how to discipline certain guys, how to use different negative and positive reinforcement tools. There's so much that goes into that job that has nothing to do with X's and O's. I hope sincerely that Adam Gase has learned from his mistakes in Miami, and we're just going to have to stay tuned and see. But I think that that's why there's a very different perception among those that played for him as offensive coordinator and those that played for him as head coach. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Ed Valley, the head honcho over at Empire Weather. And by the way, congratulations to Ed and his lovely wife. His wife is now officially a doctor, so that is so awesome. Really pumped up for you, Ed. That's great news. He says, Scott and Chris, I've heard so much about the Bell-Gase dynamic that he doesn't fit Gase's scheme, being an inside runner, etc. I know certain media characters love to overblow everything surrounding this and other recent Jet shenanigans. How big of a deal is this really? The big deal about it is that Gase didn't want Bell for a couple of reasons. The one that's been cited publicly is the salary cap thing, but Chris has talked about how his sources indicated that Gase didn't want Bell for other reasons, including he felt that Tevin Coleman was a better fit for what he wanted to do, and also he just didn't want any part of Le'Veon Bell's personality. That said, 
I don't really think this is that big of a deal now. I think both Bell and Gase realize that they kind of need each other to succeed. Bell knows that he came here to do a job. He's a pro, and he knows he has to cooperate. Gase knows that Bell, whether he wanted him or not, is here now, and he's a great player, and so he'd be foolish and cutting off his nose to spite his face, Chris, as you said the other day, to not use Bell to his fullest capability. So I'm not really that worried about it. In fact, after Gase said what he said, Le'Veon Bell quote tweeted him and said, yeah, let's get it, coach. So I think it's fine. Again, whether or not Gase actually wanted Bell to begin with, everybody knows what the situation is now. And maybe something happens down the line where they butt heads. But for now, I fully expect Le'Veon Bell to get a ton of touches to be a huge part of Gase's offense and for Bell to put up major numbers and be the Le'Veon Bell that he's been his entire career. Yeah, absolutely. If anything, this might just motivate Le'Veon Bell even mm-hmm. more. Um, I I've heard, I saw some people talking about this idea that Le'Veon Bell is not a fit for Adam Gase's system. Le'Veon Bell is an amazing running back, and he can fit into any type of system. And again, the biggest reason why I argued and you argued that the Jets needed to sign him is because of his ability as a receiver mm-hmm. and his, and pass protection as well. It's not about paying him the money to be just a running back. It's that he can do all jobs of a running back and he's one of the best we've ever seen as a receiving running back and uh, for him to be that security blanket for Donald there's no system that Le'Veon Bell can't fit in thrive in and succeed in there of course there can be systems that play a little more to his strengths and you could probably get a little more out of him but he can do whatever Adam Gase needs him to do. This We've seen it before. And I, I think Le'Veon Bell is going to be plenty motivated to come back in any way after his year off and show everybody um, that way. But at any uh, right now, the only only possible thing this could do is make him jumpstart even more. Like, all right, I better show this, show him what I got right off the bat. Like, that's that's maybe, and I, and that's even a stretch. But like, if anything, that's what I'm thinking. And again, I, he can fit in any system. He's that good of a running back. I'd also like to dispute the idea that Le'Veon Bell's not a fit for Adam Gase's system. I think he's perfectly fine. I think yeah. the question really was more along the lines of, could you get Tevin Coleman for much cheaper and make him into a player that's 90% of what Le'Veon Bell is? I think that's what Gase thought. I don't agree with him, but I think that was really the thinking there. If you go and look at Joe Blewett's film breakdown of both Le'Veon Bell and the Gase offense, he did separate shows on both. You can check them out. They're on YouTube right now. And in fact, he did the Gase breakdown with Marcus Coleman, the former 11-year NFL veteran and, of course, hero of the Monday Night Miracle. You will see numerous examples of how Bell fits perfectly into that offense. So I think that whole thing has been very overstated. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from JetsJoe73, who is a very generous person. Got Michael Nania, Quinn and Williams jersey. He's getting one for me and Joe Blewett, but we're waiting until we know for a fact 
that Quinton Williams has his number locked down for the season because we keep talking about that Leonard Williams training camp debacle and we don't want to get a jersey that Quinton Williams is wearing now and then it's outdated. So we're waiting on that. But Joe, thanks again. You are the man. So let's answer your question here. He says, I was wondering if the very big deal Chris Nimbley has any interesting stories about being around the locker room with Josh McCown. He just seemed like such a great dude. Also, Scott, will you be watching the AEW show Double or Nothing this weekend? Let's start with the AEW question. I am hoping to watch it later today. I have a bunch of stuff I have to get done, so it's possible I won't get to it. A friend of mine invited me over to his house, so I'm hoping to get over there. If not, I will definitely be watching it some point over the Memorial Day weekend. Really excited for it. I can't wait to see how they structure this, what the production looks like and everything, because just like a lot of other people, I've been thirsty for a real alternative to WWE for a long time, and I'm really hoping that Tony Khan, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, Cody Rhodes, and all those guys can make this worth watching, and I can't wait for that weekly TV show that's going to be on TNT in the fall. As for the second part of the question, that's all you, Chris. Josh McCown, any good stories? Yeah, I mean, I don't have any one specific like story to hang to, but I, what I can say is just Everything he did, the way he carried himself around the locker room, the way that other players immediately gravitated to him and respected him. You look at the way Jamal always talks about him. They call calls him Uncle Josh because he was obviously, a, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say a father figure, but an older, uh, an older guy that could help the players learn. And Jamal's coming in here, rookie, uh, you know, loud can like doesn't hold back anything and there here comes josh and they just click immediately um josh would sit there and he would talk to us just uh, the re- reporters just one after another he would just do one-on-ones he would sit there and talk for 40 45 minutes the entire locker room session and then you could even see just just his style his swag his personality it, how it would rub off on other people you could see how it rubbed off on sam uh, it, just the way he always presented himself and carried himself in, he would talk about things. He very well thought out. Everything he did and said was very well thought out. And again, just the way people gravitated to him, the respect they had for him, it was very obvious from the start. And I remember when he first got here, because I was like, all right, Josh McCown, whatever, like, you know, another older quarterback veteran coming in here to be a backup, no big deal. But then, like, slowly but surely, I was like, no, this is somebody you want to talk to. This is somebody who you want to get thoughts on, especially if, you know, it was anything, like, some players don't give good quotes or just don't really explain things very well. He is not one of those guys. He will go through and he will sit down. He's very patient. He will explain it all and he will explain it in a way that makes perfect sense. But the main thing is just the way that everybody, the coaches, the players, it didn't matter how young or old, it didn't matter their background, where they were from. Everybody loved him. And there's not a lot of people like that. And, that I've come across in the locker room. The locker rooms are always a little bit splintered. There, there's always groups of people, and you'll see some interaction between them where one person from this group will go to the other group, and one person from that group will go to another group. But there's not a lot of people 
that just everybody goes to that. He can walk up to every group there and everybody will give him the respect. I have seen very few of those people and Josh McCown was able to uh, maneuver around that with with ease. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before, and I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Josh McCown opened up my eyes quite a bit because I still think the mentor thing is overrated and the idea that you have to sign some guy to be the mentor as if there isn't a quarterback coach that's supposed to do that job. I've kind of been uneasy with that. But that said, I think when you see the difference between what Ryan Fitzpatrick did around here and what Josh McCown did around here, you definitely see the value. So while I wouldn't say, oh, you have to go out and sign a Josh McCown, All things equal, if you're looking for a journeyman backup or a fringe starter, if you can get a guy that's more like Josh McCown and less like Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of his overall impact and his overall influence in the locker room and his ability to relate to the younger players and to sit with guys like Sam Darnold, that's definitely something that you should consider as a tiebreaker if you have two guys in mind. You go with the guy that's more like McCown and less like Fitzpatrick. Next question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, couple of questions. First one, how many more people does Adam Gase have to usurp before he becomes a very big deal like Chris? Also, it was interesting to see Charles Robinson and Chris Mortensen agree that some GM candidates will be worried about Woody coming back and possibly firing them. They also didn't seem to be getting that from the Joe Douglas camp. Which candidates are likely to be confident enough to be issuing stipulations? So I think what he's saying is, which of these guys realize that they have a powerful enough bargaining position that they can put preconditions out there as far as taking the job? And which guys are a little more hesitant? Also, which guys would be worried about Woody firing them as opposed to others? So, Chris, you and I talked about the Woody aspect of this yesterday. Whether or not it's a legitimate concern, I definitely think it's going to be a concern for some of these guys because they're going to look at this and say, what is the story with ownership? I'm coming into work for this one guy, then this other guy might come back at some point. I don't know what to expect. Now, as you said, Chris, I don't want to make any accusations, but I'm sure that Woody is plugged into the team, if you know what I mean. That said, I definitely think that there are going to be some guys that are scared away. As far as Joe Douglas, yeah, you don't hear any of this stuff about him. Because he's probably confident enough that, like you said, he knows that he can say, okay, here's what I want. Give it to me or I'm not coming. Because he's got a really good job in Philly. He knows they want to keep him. And on top of it, he knows that if there are general manager openings in the offseason, and there generally are. So I think that it largely depends exactly on how attractive the candidate is and how much confidence he has that he can get another job in terms of which conditions he would lay out and how nervous he would be about Woody coming back. Yeah, but here's the thing. You have to weigh out all these different factors, and there's no way for me to be able to know and answer this without actually knowing anything about these guys' personalities. Because, like I said uh, yesterday's podcast, I, I don't doubt that that would be a concern to some people. I don't think it should be a concern to some people, but I, that what I think is irrelevant here. So I, I 
would accept and expect that there would be concern there. But then you got to look at other factors. How much is that going to play a part in it? And how much is having a quarterback going to play a part in any potential GM's decision here? You weigh out all these different factors. Okay, so maybe you have a little concern about the owner coming back, but you know you got got a quarterback here. You won't have to worry about finding a quarterback and possibly getting fired because you decided to draft uh, a quarterback and then having to sit in that middle place of, well, do we want to tank to go get a quarterback and be really bad and I might lose my job before we get him, or do we want to have a middle a middling record and then I have to reach for a quarterback with the 12th overall pick or something like those along those lines. And again, we every time Every year this comes up with the available jobs, there's not a lot of these jobs available, and only a couple of them come available you know, every season. So, yes, Joe Douglas can definitely sit out and wait if he wants to. But there is no guarantee that there's going to be a better job that opens up than what the Jets job is right now. And as much as I, I'm not saying that like this Jets job is some highly, super highly coveted job, relatively speaking but again you got the quarterback already you've got a decent you know a, a nice uh group of young guys in there you just spend a bunch of money to get a little bit better there's just a few le- holes left that needs to be plugged that you could probably do in, in the next offseason another draft class or two so there's a lot to like if i'm a prospective gm and i'm being interviewed i'm looking at the jets job and I'm looking at what could possibly become available down the line, and I don't know that I'm going to want to wait. Now, it also will depend on how comfortable you are. I don't know. We'll just stick with Joe Douglas and use him. I don't know how much he likes Philadelphia and how much he likes being there. Maybe he loves it there, and he would rather just stay there. Who knows? Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he would love to be in North New Jersey. Maybe he wants to be out west. I, these are the types of things that we can't really know and we can't think of um, there's, there's no possible way, but all of those things are going to factor into any guy's decisions at the end of the day. I don't really think that any of these GM guys are going to be scared off too much about the, about Woody Johnson possibly coming back. And again, like we talked about, it's just like with tampering before the free agent period and before the legal tampering thing. We know the agents and, and teams are speaking. This is basically what the combine is. The combine is for the players to run around and do the underwear Olympics while all the executives and agents are all talking, of, of, which they're not allowed to do, but they're doing it. And so Woody Johnson, Christopher Johnson are most likely, again, I'm, I'm not reporting this. I don't know this is fact, but Common sense would tell you that they're talking about stuff. So all of these are things to factor, but I really, at the end of the day, I think that type of stuff ends up getting reported. And it, 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 I'm not saying it's not a concern at all, but I think people are going to look at mostly what is there for me to work with, what is there for me to, uh, available, how can I make changes, and this and that. That is, will give them the most uh, best idea of how they could succeed from here. And I, I don't think the Jets are in the worst position or as bad as a position in that area as a lot of people think. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think this comes down to three things. How do you feel about ownership? How do you feel about Adam Gase? 
And how do you feel about Sam Darnold? Those are the three key questions that are going to have to be answered by any general manager candidate in terms of whether or not they want the job, and that includes Joe Douglas. By the way, I should mention, Chris, that you did not answer the second part of the question, which I obviously can't answer because I'm not a very big deal. He wanted to know what Gase has to do to eventually become a very big deal. What are your thoughts on this as a very big deal yourself? See, here's the thing. A, a very big deal wouldn't need to backstab and usurp somebody. A very, a very big deal rises on itself. He doesn't need to go behind the scenes. He doesn't need to make power plays. It just rises to itself to be a very big deal. You can't work your way up the very big deal ladder by backstabbing and by going behind people's backs and by throwing other people under the bus. That's not how it works. You, you can try all you want, but you're going to be stuck. You're not, you're not going to go ahead and win a Super Bowl. We can talk about making him a very big deal. So what I get out of that is Adam Gase has a long way to go to ever be a very big deal, but Josh McCown might be pretty close. Yes, Josh McCown is is on very big deal status. When when you carry yourself the way he does, you have as this is, this is a huge thing with me. I'm always talking about. There's a, a striking amount or lack of empathy in this world, and Josh McCown is very good with empathy. When you carry yourself, when you care about people the way he does and you are willing to take people under your wings like that 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 makes you a very big deal next question comes in from lamar hutchinson and chris this is for you because you were at otas he said how did jakai polite look in practice did he receive any first team snaps did you get a sense of what greg williams has planned for him in his defense I talked yesterday about how you could see with Jameis and Crowder easily how he was fit. I couldn't get a sense like that with Jakai uh, Polite and the defense yesterday. It's much harder to do on the defensive side of the ball there. Um, I saw him running around a little bit. I wasn't focused too much. It was the first days, early two days. Again, like I also said yesterday, when they practice inside, we have to stand on that upper balcony and we can't move around too much. So I was mostly focused on watching Darnold and Robbie Anderson just because of where I happened to stand was a few right over Robbie Anderson. Um, so over these next couple practices, I'll take a deeper look at Jakai Polite. I saw him out there a couple times, but I, I didn't too much and then even when I was looking at the defense up front I was mostly looking at Leonard Williams to see exactly how, the type of shape he's in because like I said he, he looked to be in a little bit better shape but it's it's going to be a process for Ja'Kai Polite obviously he's going to have to learn all all the ins and outs of the system he's going to have to learn his role in here and he's not going to be a, you know a three down back right off the bat either he'll be probably used in just a pass rushing scenarios up front. So we'll see a lot more of it as this goes on in the June 4th through 6th mini camps, the mandatory camps. I, that's what I expect we'll see a little bit more. And then, of course, the training camp as well. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, so with Mac being the almost guy, what almost trades or acquisitions would you say ousted him? Khalil Mack, almost. Miko Hardman, almost. Kamara, almost. Fowler, almost. Goff, almost. He wrote Mariotti, which I assume he means Mariota and not, not Jay Mariotti. Mariotti. Exactly. Please not Jay Mariotti. <laughs> if he almost traded for Jay Mariotti, then I hope he never works in the NFL again. Yeah. yeah Laramie Tunsil, almost. Third pick, almost trade. Trading back in the lead draft. And then thoughts of Mack and Bowles valuing inside linebackers and safety, building the defense inside out. Do you 
you agree with that strategy since they targeted Hightower and Tony Jefferson? What are the pros and cons to this philosophy of building? So let's start with the first part of this. There was a lot of almost with Mac. I think the big thing here, and Tyson Roush of Let's Talk Jets has talked about this before, it's not so much that they came close and didn't get the job done. It's that somehow these details always leaked out into the media as if they had to let you know that they weren't sitting on their hands, even though they didn't actually get the move done. Some of those moves, they are what they are. Khalil Mack, we know that it was going to be exceedingly difficult for any AFC team to get him. And on top of that, we know what the price was anyway. So you're looking at probably having to give up three first-round picks. I love Khalil Mack, but I don't love any player that much that isn't a quarterback. And then from there, some of these other ones, I mean, Goff was unrealistic based on where they were picking at the time. Tunsil, maybe they could have gotten a little more aggressive. You could go bit by bit, but yeah, I think the story here isn't that Mac almost got some of these guys. It's that he almost got all of them. In other words, that he didn't actually get any of those deals done. And the only major deal that he got done was the Darnold deal, which thankfully he did get that one done. As far as linebackers and safeties, I think you need good linebackers and safeties like you need anybody else. But no, I don't think that that should be a priority. I think what you have to do in free agency in the draft, though, is you kind of have to see what's available and what the strength of each draft is. So I can't kill them for picking Jamal Adams based on where they were picking and who was available. I can't kill them for paying C.J. Mosley based on who was available in free agency and who else they could have paid instead. Ideally, you would rather pay offensive linemen. you got to pay quarterbacks. You want to pay corners. But sometimes circumstances dictate that you can't go in those directions. But overall... I don't think that that's the best way to build a team, no. Yeah, let's start with the, the almost here. The, the Mike McCagnan, the king of the almost. You, you nailed it. You got it right. It's, I'm, I'm sure pretty much every GM has a plenty of stories like that, maybe even just as many. They're always talking to other GMs, and they're always trying to work things out, and you're always going to check in. You know, a, a Camilio Mack becomes available. Hey, let's see if we can get him for a third-round pick. <laughs> let's, let's see. Maybe, maybe they're going to be that dumb. So everybody around the league, but it doesn't come out that often. Okay, we'll come out every once in a while. With McCagnan, it seemed to always come out, and it always came out on people that ended up that were really good too. It was never like, oh, we almost got this guy who's now out of the league. So that seemed to be the bigger problem, and that was the whole. McCagnan using the media and weaponizing the media for his advantage, actually. And that's the, the bigger problem there. You can't fault him for trying, of course, and you can fault him for not pulling the trigger enough or offering up enough for some of these things. Like you said, the Khalil Mack one obviously is a different story because of how much it would have cost. But just the fact that every time you almost got somebody, you had to leak that, you had to get that out for everybody. And it's, it's, it's the boy who cried wolf at some point. You're sitting there. How many times are you going to hear about this almost thing before you just start rolling your eyes every time you hear the almost thing? And as far as the linebackers and safeties things, I I liked these uh, the double safety approach at the time. I, I've talked about this a lot. I think we undervalue safeties, how important they are, especially in today's NFL with the way that passing is used. You're going to have to – they're literally the last line of defense there. You need two good safeties there. Now, where I tell you a little bit of those, the linebacker thing – 
building from the inside that way, cool. But again, in this t- today's NFL, you need linebackers that can cover. If you're getting those uh, building with uh, two safeties in the back and then you're focusing on coverage linebackers, I'm good with that. But the downside of that is what you look at right now when you see this roster. Because you sit there, and that's, uh, just hypothetically, even let's just say my, Marcus May comes back and he's completely healthy, has no injury problems. All right, cool, you got Jamal Marcus back there. You got Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley at linebacker. But now go ahead and look outside. What do you have there? And you are incredibly thin, that cornerback. Tumaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, Derek Jones was playing the role of starting cornerback opposite Roberts yesterday because Tremaine Johnson wasn't there. And, and as I said, Robbie Anderson was just cooking Daryl Roberts relentlessly yesterday. So that's the downside to building it that way. Obviously, there's, you want to sprinkle it out. You want to spread it around. But you can sit here and you can just kind of take your lumps at, with it being this way for this year. And then next year you can go in and you can look to address and upgrade that the corners and everything in that situation there. It, I would be completely stunned if that is not going to be like one of the top priorities that they're looking for and acquiring next year is to address and upgrade the cornerback position. I think corner and tackle have to be your two yes. biggest needs going into the off season. And most likely center. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope that Jonathan Harrison is better than we expect. Yes. And with that, we will wrap up part one of our Memorial Day weekend mega mailbag. We'll be back with part two tomorrow. In the meantime, go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly. Read his very big deal work at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.